0: Good
1: afternoon. I am Marissa Lennox, in for Libby's Nimer today. This is my first time, so bear with me, folks. They say a week is an eternity in politics, let alone three months, which is approximately how long we have before the federal conservative leadership vote. To date, assuming unverified membership numbers hold true, well over 600,000 people are eligible to vote, 310,000 of which Pierre Polyev claims to have signed up. Meanwhile, Patrick Brown boasts 150,000 members, Jean Charest tens of thousands, and so on. It is record-shattering, more than double the number of members Leadership Hopefuls amassed in the last 2020 leadership race. But in that race, almost 100,000 people who signed up to cast a ballot failed to do so. In other words, It is one thing to round up members and quite another to ensure they actually show up to vote. And then there's this significant logistical effort to process and verify the memberships, which will be a challenge unto itself. In just a moment, we'll bring in our recovering politicians panel to comment. But before we get to all that, we start with breaking news. Canada set to announce an end to vaccine mandates for most travel, including domestic and outbound international flights. The new rules are expected to come into effect on June 20th. This will be the first time in eight months that unvaccinated travelers will be free to board an airplane. And we want to hear from you. Are you pleased with the decision? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740.
0: And now the Recovering Politicians panel.
1: And now I'd like to welcome Charles Sousa, the former Minister of Finance of Ontario and MPP for Mississauga South. Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And Howard Hampton, former Ontario NDP leader. It's good to have you all with me. Thanks for having me on. Lisa, let me start with you. The federal government set to relax vaccine mandates for travellers. Your reaction? Well, it's, it's
2: needed, clearly. Um, one of the interesting things, Marissa, that I don't think people understand that part of the, part of the problem with the vaccine mandates is that a lot of people who work at the GTAA, um, actually could come back to work now. They couldn't work when the vaccine mandate was in place because they chose not to be vaccinated. With the lifting of the vaccine mandate, they can return to work and that will actually alleviate some of the pressure they have what they say is they don't have enough people in order to do the processing in order to in order to work at Air Canada, lifting the mandate actually gives them the ability to go back to that pool of talent and bring them back. So it is a big deal.
1: That's right. And Charles, you know, Lisa makes mention of the bigger problem at the airport. It's an issue that has been growing in its intensity. Are the airlines and airports authorities doing enough? Do you get a sense that there's a real plan here to address these excessive delays? And are you pleased to see that this vaccine mandate is being relaxed?
3: Uh, Well, I'm concerned that it it, they weren't prepared for it. Obviously, it was anticipated that there'd be peaks, and there was going to be a lot more traveling, and obviously, people weren't showing up for work, and there were delays. And there were delays not just in Canada, but I presume the U.S. Customs also had delays, and that's a big issue at Pearson Airport. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned about a coordinated mandate with other countries as people travel, but I am supportive of, uh, of relaxing some of these mandates and allowing people to, to travel.
1: Howard, how about you? I mean, do you worry at all from, from a health perspective about the, the easing of this restriction?
4: Um, I always look to see if there's a plan. And I'm not sure there's a plan here.
1: Yeah,
4: I, 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 I suspect, I mean, this looks to me like what you'd call, gee, we're under pressure, we have to do something. Um, I'm not, but I'm not sure there's a plan. And, and for those who think that COVID has disappeared, well, I, I think we're in for a very ugly surprise when you have hundreds of millions of people across the globe who have not been vaccinated and the virus continues to circulate and mutate and mutate. Uh, I suspect we're going to see many more variants of uh, the virus and some of them may be more transmissible and some of them may be far more dangerous to human health.
1: So it sounds like you're apprehensive. So it, it would
4: be nice. It would be nice if you could see a plan here, but I, I, I think this is more about uh, nothing has not enough has been done over the last two years, and so there is a very serious and very urgent problem at airports like Pearson, and government's going to be going to forced to respond without a plan.
1: It sounds like you're apprehensive about the lifting of, of the vaccine mandate. I mean, you talk about it. what would you like to see, Howard?
4: I would have liked to have seen a plan. Look, look, uh, this is a, this is a virus that's killed millions of people across the globe. It is also a virus that we're now finding out has some very serious long-term consequences in terms of long COVID. And yet uh, what we've, I don't see where there's been a plan either to recruit uh, more people to work, to train more people to work or to, uh, to be prepared to address the problem when more people feel they are free to travel, they want to travel, they need to travel. And, and so when I don't see a plan, I say to myself, hmm, lots could go wrong here. Lots could go wrong. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. But like as I say, I don't see a plan. What I see is a government that is becoming increasingly unpopular because of some of the things they've done or they haven't done. And so now they're doing the politically, shall we say, uh, the the politically easy thing uh, instead of having done the necessary work over the last two years.
1: Well, and the government has said that they wouldn't hesitate to bring back in this mandate should we see other variants. But speaking about a government that's unpopular, let's turn our attention to the federal conservative leadership race. As I understand, Lisa, this will be, assuming the numbers hold true, the largest membership of any political party in Canada ever. What does that signal to you?
2: Well, what it signals to me is that there's a lot of disgruntled people out there who are looking for a change in government to the point that they're willing to pony up their $15 to be part of the process of picking the next leader that they think can unseat the Liberal government. I think that's really what it's coming down to. And if I were sitting in, in Ottawa and sitting in the Liberal Party, I'd, I'd be watching it and I would be concerned because if you put it, I'm uh, just going to put it in in sheer numbers. And, and I know Charles and Howard will, will understand this as well. They know it. If we have 600,000 members signed up If you stretch that across 338 constituencies, and it's not perfect, but it's at least 500 people in a riding that are going to be available to volunteer for you. And with that amount of volunteers, you really can do amazing things during an election campaign. So not only from the number signing up, but the fact that they'll be tapped to be volunteers in the next general election is a great advantage for the Conservative Party of Canada.
1: If the vote were held tomorrow, Charles, Pierre Polyev, who's the front-runner, would probably secure a first-ballot victory. How how do the Liberals feel? You know, I, I've seen some pundits say that a Pierre victory would be a godsend to them. On the other hand, I've also seen people say that they should be worried about his brand of conservatism.
3: Uh, the, <clears throat> they should be worried. I mean... I mean, the numbers are huge. Uh, the points matter uh, in regards to the concentration of some of those numbers. So if Patrick Brown signed up a lot of people in Brampton and Mississauga, uh, they only get the same number of points as someone would be in, uh, in Alberta. And I think Jean Charest made that, you know, has reinforced that to try to give credit to his possible ability to win on a second ballot. But if Pierre wins on the first ballot, it's very telling of uh, the disgruntled disenchantment that exists across the country. And regardless of people calling it Pierre inflation with regards to these numbers, the numbers are clear. There's a lot of people signing up for the Conservative Party, even liberals, because I know Patrick Brown and others are, are going after the broader base in the community to try to get them on board. Um, but it's it is telling. And similarly to what happened in Ontario in 2018 and reinforced again in this last election, um, you know, People are looking for a change and, and, and they're motivated and people will vote when they're motivated. If they're not motivated, they stay back as it was this last election. But that wasn't necessarily they were angry. They were just content to be it as it is. And that's that is not the case in this leadership with the conservatives or the next go around in the, in the, in the federal
1: election. You know, Howard, I'll bring you in on, on this. What factors Do you, would you say are contributing to that sort of record number of signups? And, you know, obviously I'll ask you to speculate, but, you know, do you think that these are loyal conservative party members or to Charles's point, are there liberals signing up here or is this a reaction to Trudeau's pandemic response? What do you think? What do you make of it?
4: Well, look around the world today. I mean, I think people are scared. I think people are angry. Look at people who bought a house, say, in the last three years when interest rates are low, and now they face the prospect of losing that home. And I suspect uh, that across the country, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people in that category. Uh, Look at the number of people. I I spent a lot of time canvassing in this last provincial election. Uh, The number of people I knocked on their door and they said, listen, after I pay the food bill, the hydro bill, and my gas bill so i can get back and forth to work there's hardly anything left uh so ordinary working people are really feeling the pinch i i i found some irony in the election the name that came up when you knocked on people's door the most wasn't doug ford it wasn't andrea horvath it wasn't stephen del it was justin trudeau and and I think you know, one of the things liberals federally will have to come to grips with is that for all kinds of ordinary working people, uh, increasingly they are angry at the current prime minister. So you take all this volatility, you take people's fear, I might lose my home, I don't have enough money to pay the bill, uh, people's... Uh, this, a continuing concern about COVID. People who lost their jobs, lost their businesses, uh, lost income. Where we go? Where do we go from here? Even the situations in Ukraine. If there's a very volatile electorate out there right now, and they're looking for someone to blame, and they're looking for some uh, some way in, in some cases of getting revenge. So you know how this is going to pan out? Uh, two months from now, six months from now, a year from now. Uh, it will be very interesting, but but there is no doubt there's a very volatile, very angry electorate out there right now.
1: If you want to participate in this conversation, I'll give out the numbers again, 416 360 and toll free one Four seven forty, Lisa. How does this play out for Patrick Brown? Because he's sort of in an, you know, this awkward. It's it's awkward timing for him. the The, the votes in September, but the deadline to declare as a candidate for Brampton's mayoral race is mid August. Mm-hmm. How does that work for him?
2: Don't know. I mean, the adage that everybody knows is that politics is about timing, or being successful in politics is about timing. And what it looks like is that Patrick is going to have to make a decision or does he have to make a decision? I mean, there are currently sitting members of parliament who are running for leader. Sometimes you have sitter uh, counselors uh, in municipalities running for, for leader or running for the nomination or even running to be in parliament. So uh, I think it'll be for him to figure out if he can do it and how Bramptonians would react to it. Uh, but, um, he is dedicated to the race right now. There's no question about it. And he will continue to put forth his vision. And, and now we're in the persuasion part. He'll be trying to persuade the voters out there on the list uh, to, to take a look at him.
1: I'd like to take a call from Pat in Toronto. Pat, you're on the line. Go ahead.
4: Yes.
3: I did sign up um, at the urging of a friend um, for Mr. Sherey and, um, but I'd really like to comment on the uh, the observation with regard to Trudeau. Maybe he's going to go the way that Brian Mulroney did, you know, that he goes for re-election and gets almost nothing. So just an interesting
4: comment.
1: All right. Thanks, Pat, for that comment. Anyone like to comment on that one?
4: I, uh, <laughs> I'll jump in. I... I, I uh, I think there's going to be a lot of debate in the federal Liberal Party as to who should lead them into the next election. And it may well be that uh, the current leader of the federal Liberal Party is carrying too much baggage, Um, especially in these very volatile times uh, where so many people are either fearful or angry. It may be best, uh, some Liberals, I think, may come to the conclusion it may be best to find somebody who doesn't have that baggage.
1: Well, and some have speculated it might be Christia Freeland.
4: Well, that <laughs> I, I, I think you know, what happened if, uh, to the Liberal Party provincially, Kathleen Wynne had a choice when she became leader. She could either separate herself from the policies and the directions of the McGuinty government, which she was part of, or she could try to defend it. She tried to defend it, and as a result, I think it all stuck to her. Uh, so if it is Christina Freeland, she'll have to make a very quick decision. Uh, and, and it won't be, that's not an easy decision. Mm-hmm.
1: Charles, any thoughts?
3: Um, I, I think there is going to be a movement. I mean, I don't want to speculate or talk in a churn. That's
1: what this show's for, to but speculate. I
3: would say that, um, there is a call. There is, you know, there's some desire to see some change, uh, in order to re-inspire the team. Um, when it came to Kathleen Wynne, remember, she did get a majority when she ran the first time after Dalton McGinty, and that was because of policy and because of some progressive measures while still staying true to balancing the books, so to speak, and we changed. We started to outflank the NDP, and that got us into trouble. I think that is also what's being seen um, federally. I, I'm not sure people understand where the government is going, and And uh, people are painting him in a certain light. And that's when you lose that trust, you lose, right? That's hard to get it back. And that happened with Kathleen Wynne. I think that's the biggest issue. And leadership here does matter.
1: Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to that 600,000 members, uh, Lisa, because they have to Mm -hmm. verify them manually, I understand. What does that process look like? And is that even doable?
2: Well, you have to do it twice, right? You have to verify them manually when you're taking out um, the membership. But then when you get to the point of sending out the ballots and the ballots coming back, you have to do a, a, you have to do a, you actually have to make sure that they match up with their driver's license or whatever form of identification that they provide. And that takes a long time too. So the balloting coming back is, is a big deal. The uh, the key, though, on the 600,000 is that there are going to be campaigns out there who will seek to challenge whether or not the members on the list are actually valid members. And that has happened in every single one of these leadership races where people will go through the list. The problem is, is that the list isn't out, and it's going to take a long time for them to finish coming together with the list, I understand. I hope. I hope it's coming out soon for the sakes of all the campaigns. But they need to see the list so that they can make challenges. And the longer they don't have a full list of members that have signed up, that is going to be um, I guess a process point that is is a choke is a choke on the whole system. Lisa,
3: mm-hmm. so can I ask a question? These it, yeah. members, are they obligated to vote the first time around? with the leader that they signed up with, or are they free to vote any way they wish?
2: No, they can So the way it works is you may go in through the portal of an individual leadership candidate, but it's the party that's selling you the membership. And in fact, the lists don't come out saying, these are all the people who signed up through Pierre Polyev's campaign. It doesn't come out like that. It's just one general generic list that gets spit out at the end of the day. So just because somebody went to a Pierre Polyev rally and bought a membership doesn't mean that Pierre's going to get the number one vote.
1: That's interesting. Do you think that some of these n- numbers are inflated, Lisa?
2: I don't know if they're inflated, um, but I don't think you can ever really check them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the party is not going to be providing information on how many members uh, are are signed up for each campaign because that would just give an, I think, um I think it would give an unfair advantage, and in a lot of cases, but nonetheless, it's never been done before. That's not how you put the list out. You put the list out as being, here's the list. Sure, people can identify their own people uh, on the list, but they certainly do want to go after everyone else on the list to make sure that they are... Within the you know the possibility of being appropriate, giving an example, you can't have more than twenty people signed up on one credit card. You can't have more than twenty five people signed up at the same address. Those kinds of things will have to be will have to be checked by all the campaigns, and they will then um, lodge their complaints.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. All right, let's switch to um, a provincial story, if you will, Howard. Toronto MPP Peter Tabbins poised to become Ontario NDP's interim leader. Your reaction?
4: Well, I think it's a wise choice. Uh, Peter's been around politics for a long time, municipally, uh, as part of an environmental organization and uh, as uh, an MPP. Uh, and he's been part of a leadership race, so he understands uh, all the dynamics of what uh, what will happen over the next Next few months or, or year, uh, so I, I think it's a wise choice. He Peter's also a he's a thoughtful individual. Uh, he in, my, in the time that I worked with him, he even though he comes to the NDP from a, a very strong environmental perspective, he understands uh, the he understands the geography of, of the NDP, and he understands uh, the the different interests and the different uh, organizations that are part of, the, part of the party or part of the movement. Mm. So I, I, I think it's a very wise choice.
1: Lisa, yesterday Libby had Marit Stiles on her program, who said she was seriously considering running for leadership. She also expressed some concerns over being a woman leader in politics. But of course, she's been around a long time. What are your thoughts on her as a leader? Um, you know, what does the future of the Ontario NDP look like f- from your perspective? Oh, I think no, I. Think I she, she, sorry, go, go ahead, down. Howard. Go ahead, Howard, and then we'll get Lisa to react.
4: No, I listen. I think she'll be under a lot of pressure to run. Okay, yeah. uh, if, if, if sometimes people run uh, not necessarily because they're hungry to do it, but because other people come to them and say, "Look, you have to run." So she'll be under a lot of pressure. Other people will be under pressure too. So France Gelina, who uh, is quite an effective member of the legislature, well-respected, admired, fluently bilingual. I think she'll be under pressure to run. I think uh, uh, people in Ottawa will be under pressure to run. I think uh, that you'll see some pressure put on uh, folks from London, M- MPPs from London to run. Uh, I think that'll be, you know, that's that's just sort of the, the reality of, of the NDP. Mm. So, I, I will be quite surprised if there are not at least four uh, four current members who throw in their hat, and you might even get some surprises in terms of uh, people who want to run.
1: That would be interesting to watch. Lisa, your thoughts? Yeah, I
2: you know, what I like about the fact of these leaderships now is that people aren't looking oddly when women run. It's accepted. We have women in every race, and women win frequently, so that's not going to be an issue. I, I I encourage them to think long and hard about it and make sure they raise enough money for it because you don't want to go into debt. And the last thing I would say is that if we're if we're suggesting names, I've always been very impressed with Tracy Rogers in Windsor. And I uh, very much enjoyed working with her when she was in Parliament. and think she'd make a great leader.
1: Now, obviously, Charles, the NDP party made headlines this week with Peter Tabin's. But from your perspective, what does the future of the Ontario Liberal Party look like?
3: Well, that's more challenging. Uh, not having status, not having resources, an office, and teams, it's going to be an uphill battle. And they have to redefine who they are, frankly. Um, and, and I mean, the parties seem to have drifted some. And I, I think they're going to try to come back to the center or at least find like minded people like Jeff Lehman and a few others that have been engaged in this last election. And I know a lot of them, a lot of young people, a lot of young women. Who I talk to regularly about those that ran, they still they still want to continue, and I'm encouraged by that. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a long process. Peter Tobbins, I agree with with everyone. He, he's a great choice. He's very respectful, and he's also um, a good opposition member. Like he'll, we need opposition in, in this uh, in this mandate, it, and, and and I worry that they, will, you know, the, the Ford government will not be in check. So. I'm encouraged by Peter being there. I'm also encouraged by the slate of possible candidates for the NDP. They'll be more animated. I think they'll be more united, frankly, as a caucus as they go forward.
2: All All right. right. And, Marissa, I want to interrupt. I forgot. um, I made a mistake. It's not Tracy Rogers. It's Tracy Ramsey in Windsor, Ontario. That's who I think would make a great great leader. (laughs)
1: Let the correction be noted. All right. It's been good to have you all. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Marissa. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you. Quick break. When we come back, Wall Street slipped into a bear market. Alan Small joins on what it means for you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. I am Russ Lennox, filling in for Libby today. We learned this week that the S&P 500 has entered bear market territory. Meanwhile, investors are grappling with the ongoing war in Ukraine, which is causing global supply chain disruptions and a strain on supply of gas. And the Bank of Canada is responding to record high inflation by increasing interest rates quite quickly. What are the implications of all of this? And do you have questions to engage in this conversation? I'll give out the numbers. 416. 416- 3600740 toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. To discuss, I am joined by Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor at Alan Small Financial Group, IA Private Wealth. It's good to have you, Alan.
5: Thanks for having me.
1: We hear a lot about bear versus bull. Give us a explain to us what it all means and especially a bear market, since that is where we are now.
5: Okay, well, so these are terms that are, you know, they're just labels, really, for where we are with respect to stock market performance. So uh, a bear market is when the markets fall more than 20% from their most recent highs. So greater than 20% loss. Sometimes you hear the term correction. A correction is when the losses are greater than 10%. So anything greater than 10% losses from the recent highs is a correction, and anything greater than uh, 20% would be considered a bear market. And I guess investors kind of get a little confused or caught up in these in these terms or these labels. But there are so many different types of, of indices or, or exchanges where stocks trade in the United States. There are uh, three main ones, which are the the NASDAQ, which is mostly for tech stocks, maybe some pharmaceutical companies trade there. Then there's the the main index, which is the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. As the name implies, it's an index for 500 companies, 500 stocks trade on that index. And then the smallest one is the Dow Jones, which we hear a lot of. Dow Jones Industrial Average is made up of just 30. So when you look at those three uh, indices, Dow Jones being 30 stocks only. Um, you look at the NASDAQ, which is a very large index. That market is down over 30% from the recent highs. The S&P 500, which is the main index that most of us look at, which gives us a snapshot on how the U.S. in general is doing, that's down just over 20% now, so bear market territory as well. And the Dow Jones, which gains a lot of the uh, I guess, the, the media eye or what we tend to see first when we look at how things are going on, that's down about 17%, 18%. And lastly, if you want to look at our market here, our main market in Canada, which is the Toronto stock market, we're just entering into correction territory now, just down uh, greater than 10% now. And the reason why we fared better than our U.S. Uh, neighbors to the south is a lot of our index is made up of oil companies. And as we all know, when we go visit the gasoline stations recently, oil stocks uh, are doing quite well because the price of oil has gone way up. So Mm -hmm. that helps the oil component of the Toronto stock market. So that kind of keeps things from falling too much. But if you were to factor out the oil... Our index here on the Toronto Stock Exchange would also be down uh, quite a bit
1: more. It's amazing how it's all connected. We saw there was a bit of a rebound this morning, but you know, yesterday was a tough day. So was Friday. Is this short term, or you know, how, what do you make of that?
5: Well, I think there are a lot of people, such as myself, that uh, believe this market is oversold; that the selling has been too excessive. There are a bunch of people that believe there's still more selling to go. So whenever you see days like we've had the last three days where the selling has been, uh, how can I use the word, outrageously high, we've seen uh, a fairly large sell-off on the Dow Jones 2,000 points. For example, we've seen a, a big sell-off on the Toronto Stock Exchange, the, the NASDAQ, all the major exchanges. Um, you tend to get buyers wanting to buy the selling or buy the dips, as we call it. And for a long time, for many years, that was a valid and a a good strategy. Market falls, you buy it. The market goes up, you sell it. And so what I think you saw today, uh, and we've seen this at certain points in time during this bear market, uh, different investors coming in, buying these these sell-offs or these dips when it's excessive, and unfortunately only to see the market fall further. So it's that old adage or saying, you're trying to catch a falling knife, very difficult to do. And that's why, as an advisor, I've been recommending to my investors and investors that I've been speaking to is, you can't do that. You can't try and time the market. You can never try and time the market. All we can continue to do is buy good quality investments that are cheap. And if they're cheap today, there's no guarantee they won't be cheap or cheaper next week. But we can't worry about that. If we buy good quality and if it's cheap in general, at some point down the road, their value will be realized, and the stock should start to go higher. The unfortunate part for all of us is we just don't know when. I don't think it's a matter of if; it's more a matter of when. And when you think in those terms, you know you want to start buying good quality investments when they are cheap, because at some point their value will be realized.
1: Again, the numbers to call: four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free: one eight six six. 740, 4740. We'll get to the lines in just a minute. Meanwhile, Alan, the Bank of Canada is expected to continue raising interest rates as inflation sits at a record high. And there was an alarming survey just conducted that found nearly one in four homeowners say they'd have to sell their home if interest rates increased further. That is a terrifying prospect.
5: It is. It's very scary. And, you know, you don't know I see these surveys all the time, and, and some. I have to be honest, sometimes you see them, they scare you, and then you wonder what happened, because they do raise rates again, and are you wondering, are there 25% of the people living in this country, are they selling their houses right away? And you really don't know how it all works out. Uh, someone will answer, but you don't know if they're answering this survey based on emotion or, or true facts. Uh, so I don't know if 25% of the people will sell their house right away, but I can tell you that the Bank of Canada we'll probably raise rates once again. And when you look at where rates started the year and where rates are today, obviously a significant difference. Uh, People will be paying a lot more for the loans that they've taken out, whether it's a a variable mortgage, whether it's a line of credit, whatever it is, uh, there are a lot of people paying a lot of money or a lot more money uh, on, on their loans. And to me, my thinking is that I'm not so sure this is the way to go. You see... Whether it's the Bank of Canada or the Federal Reserve down in the U.S., they're raising interest rates to slow down this red-hot, what once was a red-hot economy, trying to dampen the demand side of the equation. And keep in mind, inflation is when you have a lot of demand and, and chasing fewer products. You see, in my opinion, I believe it's a supply issue. The fact that we have fewer products now is more the issue than the demand. So we have less oil in the world because we put sanctions on Russia. We've had China uh, shut down with their zero COVID policy, so they weren't able to export a lot of the goods that they export to the rest of the world, keeping in mind they're the second largest economy in the world. We've had a shortage of labor in our country and really in the United States and all over the world. These are issues that have, in my opinion, accelerated the inflation rate. And no matter what the Federal Reserve does or the Bank of Canada, they can't bring down the price of oil. They can't, they're not going to, you know, raise interest rates and all of a sudden Russia's going to stop the war in Ukraine. That's not how it works. So in my opinion, they're attacking the problem from a totally different angle. They're they're trying to slow down this economy, to slow down the inflation rate. But the worry is, and the market is telling us this worry is, the worry is that we could go into a recession. We could slow down, or the, the central banks could slow down the economy too much by raising interest rates put people uh, in in hardship and at a difficult time, businesses at a difficult time, just when we're coming out of COVID, and that's what the market's worried about, and that's why you're seeing such a sell-off, because I believe the market is saying that if the Federal Reserve or these central banks raise rates too quickly, it'll put us into a possible recession or definitely a slowdown, and that's not good for anybody. So I think we have to be very careful. Central banks have to be very careful, and I would be raising rates a lot slower, a lot Mm. more measured, but it seems like they're in a very big hurry to raise rates, and I think that's a mistake.
1: Right. I mean, maybe it's not one in four, but there are certainly people who've leveraged themselves so much so that if rates were to rise even more, they'd be in trouble. And I do worry about the sustainability of this. Let's get to the lines. Sita from Mississauga has a a question. Go ahead. You're on the line, Sita.
2: Hi, everyone. Um, We can't blame the prime minister for everything. COVID is our biggest enemy. Then came the war. People did not vote because all parties did not have enough to do with the cost of living. So raising interest rate will be an added disaster to the economy. And my question is, shouldn't the stress test help in this case?
5: Sorry, I couldn't hear the question. Can you repeat that?
2: The stress test that people did, buyers did, when they were buying a home, shouldn't that help them now
1: with, with interest rates going up? The stress test. Well, Out.
5: good question. And so I believe the test you're talking about was when you, when you apply to, to get a mortgage, especially if it's a variable rate mortgage or a low mortgage rate, as we've seen for many years, you had to do a test. So you had to qualify for a much higher rate. And yes, that will definitely help because that rate, was definitely a lot higher. If you qualified for a, I forget what it was, depending on the interest rate, 5 or 6%, and you were able to, to, to meet or to qualify at a higher rate, then you were able to get the much lower rate. So yes, that will definitely help, but there are a lot of people out there that uh, didn't do that or didn't go through the process, or even that higher rate um, is going to be much higher still today. When you look at where prime rate is today, we've already seen, you know, a number of interest rate increases. Prime rate is almost 4% now when it was, you know, two and a half just, uh, you know, five, six months ago. You know, if you had a, a 1%, 2% uh, loan or interest-paying loan, you know, you've seen it almost double in the first six months of this year. And we're hearing it could go up even further. So I think that's the worry. And, and yeah, I agree. Whether it's 25% or 20% or 15% of the population, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to find it much much more difficult to meet their demands and meet their, their debt obligations going forward.
1: Thank you, Sita, for your call. Um, you know, Alan, it's hard to imagine that this is sustainable. How does the Bank of Canada balance that, you know, trying to control inflation while also making sure we not enter into a recession? You said you'd go much slower, but how do they make yeah. that call?
5: Well, it, and, and that's a great question, and I think this is the balancing act. It's kind of like we you know, use the term walking on eggshells. You see, the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve, they at this point believe, and rightfully so, we are no longer in emergency times. You know, we've seen uh, COVID come and, and, and hopefully go, and it's still around, but, but obviously much more, uh, you know, we're dealing with it, we're learning to live with it much better now. So we're, not, we're no longer in emergency times. We don't have to, you know, pay people to stay at home. We don't have to keep interest rates low so that businesses can continue to function while they're not at full capacity because businesses hopefully will start to ramp up and, and, and get to you know, full capacity as soon as possible. So interest rates should rise. There is no doubt about that. However, there's a big difference between rising, rising quickly, and to what level those rise to. And I think what's happening is you see the Bank of Canada and central banks in general, they have two mandates. One is to try and get as much as uh, full, as close to full employment as they can, and we know in our country we're getting there. Five percent unemployment rate is one of the best we've seen, in, in, I think decades. And the other thing is to keep inflation down, and those things they match against each other. But I think right now, with inflation at you know in our country almost seven percent, a number we haven't seen in 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 decades, they're basically telling us they're going to try and get this rate down at all costs. And if there is some collateral damage, which means a slowdown of the economy by them doing this, they're willing to take that risk because they believe the average consumer out there is in good shape, has a lot of money or more money than before. Uh, Unemployment rate is really low, so everybody who wants a job right now is pretty much working according to what they're telling us. There are a lot more job openings for people to fill, as we've heard. So they believe that they can do what they need to do and it won't take us into a recession. That's, the, I guess, the gamble they're taking. In my opinion, I think that's a gamble that, that they can take, but I think they need to be more measured and go at a slower pace versus the pace they've taken on to start these interest rate increases.
1: There's a lot of speculation, no question. but you know, for anyone listening, what advice do you have for them who may find themselves in this spot worried about their financial situation?
5: Well, I think what you need to do right away uh, is get a you know understand where you as a person, as a family, are, are, are standing. Where's what's your standing? Understand your expenses. Understand what costs you have on a monthly basis, on an annual basis. You, you need to have a some sort of a budget in play there because if you have a variable type of loan, the cost of that loan, eh, or at least eh, the cost may not be rising in the short term because. It'll just mean, perhaps, if it's, a, if it's a variable rate mortgage, you're paying less the principal and more to interest. But at some point, these loans on a mortgage, it will go higher. You will be paying more. Uh, if you have a line of credit, uh, your, the costs will be going up. You need to understand that. What does that mean? If you're, like most people, if your salary isn't going up at the same pace as these costs are going up, then that's something you need to be mindful of. You might need to, at some point cut back in certain areas, and again, that's what the Bank of Canada actually wants. They want us to cut back. They don't want us to keep spending on real estate and these red-hot areas of the economy because that's what's causing a lot of the inflation, right? Us going out and spending a lot of money. So the Bank of Canada actually wants us all to take a bit of a step back so that the inflation rate can come down. And so I think that's what needs to happen. If you're someone listening today, you need to figure out what you're expenses are, what your costs are, what your debts are. Figure out, you know, where this is going, because I can assure you it's going higher, not lower. And you need to be mindful of that and to be aware of that and budget for it.
1: All right. Alan Small, Senior Investment Advisor. Alan Small, Financial Group, IA Private Wealth. It's good to have you, Alan. Thank you for your time. Thank you. When we come back, Charlie Dobbin, need I say more? Okay, we'll be talking about gardening.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back to the program. I am Marissa Lennox in for Libby's Nimer today. Before I introduce my next guest, a brief embarrassing story. I was at the garden nursery recently looking for plants to fill my planters, and I stumbled upon a section of peonies, which were on sale, and they caught my eye. And so I was excited to plant them. So sure enough, I go home into my planter boxes, they go, and after a couple of weeks, still no flowers. And that is because I have since learned that peonies don't bloom for an entire year. Now would probably be a good time to introduce my next guest, Charlie Dobbin, host of The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. But first, the numbers to call 416 3600740. Toll free, 1 866 744 740. Hey, Charlie. How are you, Marissa? <laughs> I am good. And let me just start by saying that everything I know about gardening, I 100% owe to you, but not that last thing about the peonies. I love them. I'm devastated they won't bloom this year. Well, so were they blooming when you bought them? No. Oh, uh, They are green plants. They're green, no. so now my planter boxes are colorless. They're just yeah.
6: green. Green. And no buds. No evidence of round little flower buds on the top. No. Huh. So maybe they're very young, and they aren't quite ready to bloom yet. But you know what? You, can you put them in the ground? Have you got a sunny spot somewhere you can plant them in the ground? I could. I would. They're not going to survive in the boxes. What
1: if I brought them inside for the winter?
6: No. no, okay. They're outdoor plants. <laughs> Some, if people think if they're doing a plant a favor to bring it in, no. It's like bringing in a raccoon to keep it warm. <laughs>
1: Forget it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, the producer thought it was a cruel joke to have me talk about gardening on this show. <laughs> um, what did you plant this year, Charlie?
6: Wow. What didn't I plant? Well, you know what? I'm pretty cheap. So I planted a lot of seeds and um, quite a few edibles. I've got uh, one, two, three, four different kinds of tomatoes growing. I've got parsley and basil. I've planted peppers and kale, um, some Thai basil because I love it, peas and beans. A
1: lot of food. A lot of food. (laughs) Well, there's a rising cost of food, right? That's putting pressure on people. So what are some of the easy things that they can grow in their garden?
6: In terms of well, certainly, I mean, it's just been a wonderful spring so far. We've had, you know, it, it wasn't too hot, too fast, which was nice. Um, you know, a cool spring prolonged so many of the bulbs and the spring blooms. And now we're, it's very warm and sunny at my house today. Virtually no wind at all. I'm probably going to have to actually do a bit of watering, uh which I haven't had to do a lot of because we've had very consistent rain, which has been great um but I've got some uh things I picked up that I'm going to plant like i I love um attracting and supporting uh birds, bees, butterflies, all the little creatures of the garden, so I have um a garden that I call my bird garden, and it's all bird friendly fruit bearing kind of plants so you know, mulberry, as an example. I have a mulberry tree that gets mulberries all over it and birds go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so leotris, uh, some people know what that is. That's a um, very, um, very popular butterfly perennial. But, you see, that's the thing with your planters. Usually we put annual flowers into our planters because yes. they will bloom all summer.
1: Things I need to learn. All right. This is a question that just came in from one of our avid listeners. I tried cucumbers for the first time last season. Uh, did not th- know they were so aggressive. <laughs> Tips to tame.
6: <laughs> well,. <clears throat> cucumber, I mean, it's like zucchini. Have you ever tried growing zucchini? <laughs> <laughs> one plant can take over the entire yard. So cucumbers are just a small version of zucchinis, really. They um, they do, one way to tame them is give them something to climb on. Make sure you've got either a trellis or you set up some kind of a net, and that will keep them vertical, keep them off the ground, and can keep them under control to some extent. And, and so many of the edibles do want sunny locations, and that can be tough in the city, you know, big old trees, etc. So, you know look for your sunniest spots plant um plants that you love to eat because that no no point in growing things you're not going to eat and uh and you know fix the soil first always think about amending your soil and then once the plants are growing you know be prepared to give them the the what they need so they might cucumbers like i say need something to grow on it's like tomatoes they need most of them want to grow up a stake or they'll flop on the ground and again take over your entire yard (laughs)
1: I'll give out the numbers to call again four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty um another thing that people often have to deal with are garden pests, moths, caterpillars, squirrels, in my case, and one of our other listeners, tons of rabbits in their area. How do you deal with those?
6: Well, they are all kind of are different challenges in their own way. Uh, things like rabbits and squirrels. If you have a dog, can be the, a dog can be a real effective deterrent for some of the little creatures that come in and chew on our gardens. Except, obviously, in the middle of the night, usually the dog is in the house. So, having there are motion detected sprinklers. Uh, there's one called the scarecrow, and uh, you set it up so that any creature enters your yard at night, and this high powered blast of water comes out and scares them. Uh, That works uh, as long as you remember it's there and it doesn't hit you in the morning when you go
1: out. (laughs) I have children. Would it hit them? Maybe. (laughs) Exactly.
6: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful with with small, small animals and children. But, um, but yeah, that's usually the best. I, I mean, there are some sprays. There's, a, and there's lots of different, you know, anecdotal, when you're at the hairdresser, ask for hair, take hair home with you. Scattering human hair around the garden can be quite a good deterrent for bunny rabbits and deer and that sort of thing. Oh. Squirrels aren't really going to care much. Cayenne pepper sprinkled on your favorite plants will keep the squirrels away, but then, People say, oh no, but then they're going to sniff the pepper and, you know, it's going to cause them all kinds of distress. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. You, you, you like, I, I, there is a great product out there. It's available at all the stores, even the big box stores called Plant Skid. One word. Plant S K Y. Oh, I always forget whether it's two Y's and a D or two, one Y and two D's, but Plant Skid. It's out of um, Finland, and it was designed to protect plants from elk. And it works really well on all herbivores. So that one's a good one. And it lasts for three months after you spray it on plants.
1: I'm curious, what is it about human hair that the rabbits and the squirrels don't like? Uh, I think it's the
6: smell. It's just that they're afraid of humans. I remember there used to be a product, and I think you still can get it, somewhere called zoo poo. (laughs) Zoo poo. Are you making this up, Charlie? (laughs) No, I'm not. I know. I couldn't make this stuff up. It's it's made from manure from the zoo, right? So lions and tigers and bears. Well, guess what? A squirrel smells zoo poo, and they don't even know what a lion or a tiger or bear is, but they're scared. (laughs) They just take off. So sometimes those things can work until the squirrels look around and go, "Hold on, I don't see any lions." Do you?
1: <laughs> well, at the moment, I have plastic forks coming out of my out of my yeah. garden. It yeah. doesn't look very good, so maybe I'll try some human hair.
6: <laughs> but you know what? With, with the forks, you don't have to see them. Um, break the handles off and stick them down further so that they're just under the surface.
1: Oh, okay. I wasn't that, sure. Okay, that's yeah, good to know. Yeah,
6: if the squirrels are digging, that will yeah. stop them from digging. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to see those ugly forks. Just put them right down so they're just below surface.
1: Well, the thing I like about June, it's an exciting time because the flowers in mm. most gardens are just about to bloom. What should we be doing?
6: Enjoying. <laughs> take a break and enjoy, walk around, smell the flowers, and look closely. What you should be doing is, I call it visiting the garden, but it's also inspecting your garden. Always keep an eye out because if there is a problem, like if there's a pest or, you know, groundhogs digging holes, you'll see it before it becomes a huge problem. And so that walking around, glass of wine, great idea, take in the, the beauty of the garden, but be, be an inspector at the same time. So stay on top of what needs to be done. Uh, At this time of year, um, for me, um, uh, weeding is super important. I was just going to say, the weeds. Yeah. yeah. And the the sooner you pull the weeds, the hours you will save in the future. So it's like stitching 9 saves time. Well, weeding now saves a lot of heartache later. Well,
1: do you think we should be pulling the weeds or spraying the weeds? Well, it depends where they are. Weeds that are
6: coming up in between your interlocking brick, like say you've got a driveway or walkway and there's little weeds coming up, those are way too hard to pull. I spray with the, um, high powered, uh, vinegar, which you can buy. It'll say, you know, it'll show a little picture of a spray on interlocking brick or in between, uh, patio stones. That works very well. You gotta be careful you don't spray your loved plants, mm-hmm. but you can certainly spray the weeds, particularly on a hot, sunny day like today. They'll turn yellow right before your very eyes. Otherwise, it's mostly pulling weeds. It's and it's been moist, so it's been good for. It's been easy weeding. The the roots are coming up pretty nicely because there's good moisture in the soil.
1: All right, Charlie. Before I let you go, fifteen seconds. What do you want to leave us with?
6: Oh. You took me by surprise. Um, well, I think it probably goes back to what I said earlier, which is enjoy your garden. You know, I'm hosting a documentary series called Healing Gardens, and it's and so much of that is about how gardens heal us, not just physically, but, emotionally, psychologically, Uh, you know, our blood pressure drops, our immune system improves, all kinds of good things happen when we get out into the green spaces. So do it, grab it. It's June. It's the time to be outside.
1: Couldn't agree more. Charlie Dobbin, host of The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Good to have you, Charlie. Thanks, Marissa. Happy gardening. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for time. Jane's in for Libby tomorrow. Good to be with you. Bob's News coming up right now.